following is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. And put in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. Back on the Tom Dupree Show. Adarsh Mushroo sitting in today. How are you, Adarsh? Doing well, Tom. Well, you've got some good stories for today. First of all, uh, let's talk a little bit about markets. So what are you seeing in the S&P and the Dow and and, uh, the Russell 2000? The Russell 2000, which is a smaller company index, it's pulled back pretty strongly the last couple of days, but it had gone up a bunch. It has, yes. Yeah. So the Russell 2000 has been making new all-time highs, uh, and it pulled back a little bit, but it's still close to its all-time high. Yeah. Uh, the Nasdaq uh, made a new all-time high uh, yesterday. Uh, the S&P is still a little shy of its all-time high, and uh, the Dow Jones is uh, also making new all-time highs. It's over 25,300 now. It's actually been higher. Uh, it's been to about 26,000, I believe. So it's still a little shy of its all-time high. Right. What do you make of that? I mean, with all the volatility we had in late January, February, you know, just real problems with the stock market. I mean, days where it would be down a massive amount and then back up again. I mean, it, it seemed like we were headed for a crash almost. And uh, yet... It seems that uh, things have, have have balanced out and 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 look like they're improving. Yeah, so I'm actually quite glad that we had that you know bout of volatility uh, back in February, and it's sort of continued. You know, volatility has increased compared to where it was last year, uh, and even earlier this year. Uh, but you know, we we had almost two years of extremely low volatility where the market just keep kept going up if you see what happened in 2017 really there was nothing that uh, shook the markets it just kept going up and it had a great year it was up over 20 percent and then during uh, the early part of 2018 uh, January of 2018 uh, the market rallied seven percent in the first month uh, and in only you know less than 20 or so trading days, it rallied 7%. Uh, so it sort of had a a blow-off sort of moment. And then since then, we saw 
a 10.2% correction in the S&P uh, 500, which I think is healthy for a bull market. Uh, you know, if markets just keep going up, uh, then we may have seen an even bigger correction, but I'm glad we saw a smaller correction at this point and not something like uh, what happened in uh, 87 where the market just kept rallying and there was a huge drop. Uh, so I, I think this correction was healthy. Uh, the fundamentals have only improved. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, companies that reported earnings, uh, a large percentage uh, beat their uh, expectations and uh, increased guidance. So that's that's a very good sign. Uh, and the market is being supported by fundamentals. If you look at valuations, uh, in a lot of cases, valuations have come down because earnings have gone up. Uh, so, um, you know, it's it's on a pretty solid footing right now. Yeah, and it's not overly optimistic. There's not too much optimism priced into the prices of stocks. That, there isn't, no. Uh, you could say that in January there was a sense that, you know, optimism was building, but since then uh, there really hasn't been that much, and we've obviously been hearing uh, about different things in the news that, that worries people um, about, you know, just trade wars in North Korea and things like that. So I think there's not been that much optimism. And uh, increased volatility is also another uh, reason why uh, optimism hasn't, uh, you know, really increased. If you look at the, the VIX, it's it's still somewhat high. Uh, it's come down some since February, March. But uh, higher volatility also scares uh, investors. So, uh, uh and that's that's a good thing, you know. Ideally, you, you want markets to go up when uh, there's not much optimism and and uh, investors are still uh, scared about what's going on. That's where the wall market climbs the wall of worry. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and we we saw that, you know. I mean, think about what happened in the last, you know, nine years since right. the financial crisis. I mean, at every step of the way, yeah, there was something that was going to derail the market, make right. it go down, make new lows, all kinds of things. Yet, today it's up over 300-odd percent from where it was uh, back in March of '09. So it's this has been a strong rally, the second longest in history. The longest was between 87 and 2000, when the market rallied over 520-odd percent. So... Uh, Despite being such a strong uh, rally, it's still not as uh, strong as the one that we saw, you know, two decades ago. Right. Well, it, you have a a story here from the Wall Street Journal talking about American job openings outnumber the jobless. The U.S. had more job openings this spring than there were unemployed Americans. For the first time since such re record keeping began in the year 2000, the number of available positions exceeded the number of Americans without jobs actively looking, the Labor Department said uh, Tuesday. U.S. job openings rose to a seasonally adjusted 6.7 million at the end of April, also a record high. That was more than the 6.3 million Americans who were unemployed during the month. Now, I would take a little bit of issue with that because in the unemployment roles, they count people who are working or who are looking at for a job and have not stopped looking. There are 
quite a few more unemployed people who are no longer counted as unemployed because they're not looking anymore. But um, in the official numbers, there's more job openings than there are, quote, unemployed. Yes, so uh, you're talking about the labor force participation rate, which yes. has uh, gone down since the financial crisis. Uh, interestingly, I was just in uh, Boston last week to attend this investment conference, and uh, the chief economist of Natixis, he, he you know, uh, talked about that issue, but he also found that um, the labor force participation rate also is starting to increase now, uh, especially amongst uh, people who are, you know, between 80 and about 40. Uh, the labor right. force participation of people who are in their 50s and beyond hasn't increased that much. Uh, part of the reason some argue is because people are just retiring sooner uh, and people who are in their 60s are just not going back to work. But we are seeing some uh, improvement in the participation rate in uh, teenagers and people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. But that, that is a good point that you mentioned. Uh, but despite that, we, we know, you know, just anecdotally, forget empirically, we know anecdotally that things are better, more people are working, more people are spending, you know, the mood is more optimistic than it was a few years ago. So we, we do know that things are improving. Right. Um, what does this mean, you know, for the how, – how does a strong economy impact stocks and inflation and yields? And we are a, an, an investor, and let's talk about that when we come back from the break. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. Kim Jong-un. President Trump's expected summit. This will be history. The future of North Korea. Check in. A lot of things can happen. History is happening every day. News Radio 630. History. WLAP. Hi, I'm Tom Dupree, Jr. Our firm, Dupree Financial Group, has been engaged in the management of retirement investment accounts of our clients for nearly 14 years. My personal time in the investment business spans 40 years. We bring experience to the table in managing your retirement dollars. If you would like a seasoned and experienced manager to handle your investment portfolio, then give us a call. To schedule a complimentary review of your retirement investments, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 or send an email to info at dupreefinancial.com. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and DupreeFinancial.com. 630 WLAP. Well, the bless of my soul, what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree. My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug. I'm in love. I'm all shook up. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Back on the Tom Dupree show. So when you have a, a lot of more job openings than there are people looking for jobs, that's obvious that you have a strong economy. How does a strong economy impact 
stocks, inflation yields, and how are we investing in such an environment? Why is it important to safeguard against inflation? Because you're going to get inflation in a strong economy. Yes, that's that's true. So immediately after the financial crisis, we saw a few years of anemic growth. Uh, if you remember, a few years ago, the, the word uh, that everyone uh, mentioned was new normal. And what that new normal meant was that the economy is going to grow, but at a very slow pace. So GDP was barely growing at 2%. It was even slightly below. Uh, so in that environment, uh, there really wasn't much inflation. Uh, inflation consistently was you know, below 2%, in some cases even below 1%. And we even flirted with deflation immediately after the financial crisis. Now... You know, after all these years of anemic economic growth, we are starting to see GDP pick up. You know, now forecasts are saying that it'll grow at 3%, some even higher. What that means is that um, animal spirits, which were lacking for a number of years because there was a depression, there was even a psychological, you know, uh, fear in the minds of people, are starting to pick up. as you know, the previous article talked about how there were more jobs than there are people looking for jobs. Uh, that's a sign that um, demand is uh, increasing and uh, you know supply is limited. So in that environment, uh, inflation starts picking up, and we are starting to see that inflation is moving to two percent and even beyond. Um, so that makes investing a little tricky because now. You know, you can't just invest in something that has a certain yield and rely on that yield because, you know, inflation was lackluster. Nor can you invest in a dividend-paying security that pays, you know, 2 or 3% uh, and it just stays there because now there are uh, fixed income securities, bonds and such that are starting to compete with stocks that pay a dividend. Um, so now in an environment when inflation is picking up, uh, it becomes extremely crucial to invest in things that uh, are a good uh, store uh, of value that will keep up with rising inflation, that will maintain your purchasing power and increase uh, your income over time. So if inflation is rising at 2%, you also want your income to rise at 2% or higher. Right. Um, so in that environment, um, you know, uh, we are looking as investors, uh, investment managers, uh, we are trying to find things that uh, not only pay an income but pay uh, a growing income. Uh, one of the best ways to do that is to invest in uh, uh, stocks that you know pay growing dividends, uh, not just stocks that pay a fixed dividend, but stocks that pay growing dividends and stocks that are not as sensitive to higher interest rates. Yeah, uh, you know certain types of companies that depend on uh, debt to keep functioning can be vulnerable in this environment. Companies that uh, uh, REITs, real estate investment trusts, for example, or uh, you know companies that pay out all their income uh, as dividends can be vulnerable in such an environment because their cost of capital goes up and they don't really you know have uh, resources to uh, keep investing or their cost of making new investment goes up. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we look at a number of different factors uh, and invest uh, in things which will keep up with inflation, which 
uh, will not have negative uh, impacts or which will not be impacted negatively because of rising rates. Right. Um, and which ultimately, uh, you know, benefit the investor by increasing their purchasing power over time. But it's a tricky game because when you're doing it, um, you could get caught in a downturn at any point along the way, and you have to limit your downside risk, which means we don't, we're not typically fully invested. We keep some money uh, in short-term uh, obligations in order to, you know, uh, not only act as ballast in the account in the event of a big downturn, but it gives us some dry powder, some money that we can use to invest if we think things become extremely cheap. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, despite whatever environment uh, we are operating under, whether it's high inflation, low inflation, you know, cheap markets, expensive markets, it's always important to have some asset diversification. So, right. you know, it, just because we think stocks will do well does not mean we'll go and put 100% of a portfolio in stocks. There are assets that have different correlations to stocks, you know, uh, bonds, you know, especially uh, short-term bonds in this environment that uh, uh, are not as vulnerable to inflation is a good source of liquidity, is also uh, something that stabilizes a portfolio in the event the market drops. Right. Uh, and uh, it can be uh, uh, a source of capital when, uh, you know, opportunities do uh, arise. So, yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, another article you have here, uh, Social Security expected to dip into its reserves this year. Um, this is kind of a unsettling piece of news because tax receipts are at a all-time high. And yet, despite that, uh, Social Security is finding it's having to pay out more than what it's taking in. So Social Security program's cost will exceed its income this year for the first time since 1982, forcing the program to dip into its nearly $3 trillion trust fund to cover benefits. By 2034, those reserves will be depleted, and Social Security will no longer be able to send its full scheduled benefits. Is this sort of the beginning of the end for Social Security, do you think? Well, so it is troubling that in such a strong economy, uh, so the Social Security Fund has to dip into uh, its reserves. Um, and the reason for that is that uh, now there are more, every year there are more people who are uh, retiring and relying on Social Security. Yeah. Um, how this plays out, so these are projections, you know. Now, say we do have an extremely strong economy between now and, say, for the next few years, that could offset some of these uh, uh, requirements, but we'd have to have a very strong economy where more people are employed and more people are contributing to Social Security. Right. But it is troubling because, um, you know, uh, at some point, the government will not have too many, uh, you know, resources to bolster this fund, especially if interest rates go up uh, in the future. So it's important to have a strong um, 
I, I guess, budget and, you know, not have too much in terms of deficit spending. And then it's also important to have a strong economy, which can in- increase tax receipts uh, and help, uh, you know, uh, shore up this fund. So it, it is troubling. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been talking about this for a number of years. And now we are at a point where that the, you know, Social Security Administration is having to dip into these funds. They did in 1982, and then since then, you know, the economy grew strongly, so they didn't have to. So hopefully, you know... Uh, yeah, but there there could be a problem going forward. And um, do you think Americans tend to be overly reliant on Social Security? I think a lot, lot of people do, because when you look at studies of you know, Americans and how much they have in terms of retirement savings outside of, you know, just uh, their social security outside of, you know, uh, their jobs. A lot of people really don't have too much in terms of savings. Right. So that would lead me to believe that people are at least at some level relying on social security, uh, which is troubling. Um, and that's why it's even more important to have savings from a young age and invest those savings wisely. So even if Social Security doesn't work out as planned, you have another source. Yeah. And the other thing is people can begin saving even late in life and sometimes save quite a bit if they're uh, smart about it. You know, they can put quite a bit away and uh, and take care of a lot of their uh, needs that way. But I do feel like uh, government programs in general are subject to the government's ability to pay, and uh, it's not always the way it looks. So, right. Anyway, um, stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Mashru sitting in with me. Tom Dupree show is carried by News Radio 630 WLAP. HelpWantedLexington.com presents the world's worst boss, the one who posts jobs on huge national job sites looking for anyone with a pulse. We'll just call him Dave. Hey, Dave, can we please turn that down? The music? Music helps create a more productive work environment. But Dave, I think it depends on what kind of music you play. Of course it does. This music helps me drown out your whining. <laughs> but I... There, that's better. Don't work for a Dave. Find a boss you can respect. One who's looking for great and local talent at HelpWantedLexington.com. Local jobs that Please work. join us for the 14th annual Father's Day family event on Saturday, June 16th at Douglas Park. Brought to you by the Lexington Leadership Foundation's fatherhood initiative with their partner the Fayette County Public Schools. The fatherhood initiative promotes healthy families and responsible fathers. For event details go to our Facebook page at fatherhood initiative or call us at 859-277-3087. The event is free and all are welcome. We hope to see you there. Let's get family together. Looking for fast, easy, and secure electronic banking? Community Trust has a wide variety of banking services to meet your needs, including internet banking, bill pay, and mobile banking. We now have even more great services like Apple Pay, make payments directly from your smartphone, and People Pay, a fast, easy, secure way to send and receive money from your smartphone. Visit us on the internet to learn more at ctbi.com. That's ctbi.com. 
Community Trust Bank, building communities built on trust. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Gathering with other G7 leaders at a breakfast roundtable on gender equality, tensions over trade talks in Canada dominating the meeting of world leaders. The president leaves early today, heading out to fly to Singapore for Tuesday's summit with North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un. ABC's David Wright is in Quebec City. The president basically cannot get on that plane fast enough. He is eager to get off to Singapore. He's got a long flight ahead of him, and he'll need some downtime to prepare for that summit, which begins Monday morning. Also, it may not be a coincidence that the meeting that he's missing in order to leave this summit early is the discussion of climate change. That's another issue that puts him at odds with the other world leaders gathered here in Quebec. France officials say star chef Anthony Bourdain hanged himself in the bathroom of his French hotel using the belt of his robe. The 61-year-old was found dead yesterday. I'm Michelle Franzen, ABC News. Our weekend is off and running with a little steam and a little storm action on this Saturday. We'll see a high today topping at mid to upper 80s. Chance for some scattered boomers into the afternoon. Any storm that goes up can be a bit on the strong side. Better chance for some scattered storms around Sunday into Monday. And both days can feature some locally heavy downpours. That's a pattern likely stuck in place for much of next week. I'm WKYT Chief Meteorologist Chris Bailey in your official weather station. News Radio 630 WLAP. Broadcasting live 24-7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP and iHeart Radio Station. I'm that guy. The one who never finished high school. Worked for a company that shut down. The guy who felt lost. Then I started free adult education classes and I saw opportunity. Forget minimum wage. How about maximum wage? Now I'm that guy. Text my goal to 74700 for free Kentucky adult education skills you classes. The more you learn, the more you earn. Brought to you by this station and the KBA. In today's digital world, children are exposed to more potential threats than ever before. In fact, 54% of children have private conversations with strangers online, and one in three young people have experienced cyberbullying. As an internet provider, Windstream takes internet safety seriously. We encourage parents to get involved with their child's online activity. There's a number of ways to keep children safe without imposing on their privacy. For helpful tips and resources on how to protect your kids, online, visit winstream.com. When posting on most job sites, you get candidates. I'm the sales director you're looking for. I'm the sales director you're looking for. But when you post on Indeed.com, you get the candidates just right for you. I'm a sales director with an MBA, over 10 years experience, who's also fluent in Japanese. With Indeed, you can add screener questions for a less time-consuming route to your short list of qualified candidates. Arigato. Hiring's better when you've got your short list. Save time on hiring when you post a job on Indeed. Get started today at Indeed.com slash hire. 630 WLAP. Blue moon, blue moon, keep shining bright. Blue moon, keep on shining bright. You're going to bring me back on my baby tonight. Blue moon, keep shining bright. I say blue moon, I can talk to you keep on shining. Shine on the one that's gone and let me blue. Back on the Tom Dupree Show. Nothing like a little Elvis. 
get the morning going. How millennials became the world's most powerful consumers. When Scott Norton and Mark Ramadan were undergraduates at Brown University in Rhode Island a decade ago, they were horrified not by the 2008 financial crisis, but by Heinz ketchup. The bright red sauce was so common in shops and kitchens around the world that it seemed it would be there forever. At the center of supermarkets were all these classic American brands that hadn't evolved in 70 years. As they talked to their student friends, they realized that none of them wanted bland mass market products shipped from factories by huge corporations. So they started to mix their own organic ketchup in an off-campus apartment. On graduation, they founded a company and having no origin with story with resonance, invented a joke one. They named it after a mythical Victorian called Sir Kensington, a monocled adventure who had advised the British East India Company in the acquisition of spices. The pair are now 31 years old, at the heart of a millennial generation that has come of age, transforming business not only in the U.S., but around the world. In April, their company was acquired by Unilever, the British-Dutch group that fended off a takeover by Kraft Heinz. Their ketchup, once a student jape, <coughs> has just gone on the stars of shelves of Walmart and Target. Sir Kensington's is the playbook for reaching millennials, says Richard Hartell, president of strategy and transformation at Publicist Media. The millennial moment, long expected and feared by companies that built their brands for baby boomers. They are aging and their offspring, once called the echo boom, are no longer teenagers or even students. It's interesting. So what you're saying here and what this article is saying, and we've been noting this, is that the old brands like Heinz 57 and um, A1 Sauce and uh, Heinz Ketchup, people simply uh, of the baby boom generation, they have no affinity for these, I'm sorry, of the millennial generation, they have no real affinity for these brands. They'd rather have something different. Right. You know, there was a sense that these great American brands, you know, which have which are part of the the psyche or part of the national consciousness, were gonna be there forever. They were eternally brands that were going to be brands that, you know, everyone liked. But it turns out that that was just a product of its time. You know, it was a certain period in time when, uh, you know, people liked these brands. They grew up with these brands, uh, but nothing stays the same. Tastes change, uh, habits change, and we are starting to see that, you know, all these assumptions that these brands were going to be there forever. Now, these brands may remain if they are, uh, you know, uh, proactive and if they start acquiring these smaller brands just like Unilever acquired this brand Sir Kensington but nothing stays the same and that's the the tricky part when it comes to investing you know you cannot make assumptions that this is going to be this way just because that's how it was in the past uh, things change and uh, we are starting to see uh, and millennials you know a few years ago these were just people you know they were kind of lost they didn't know what they were doing now they are a force to be reckoned with. 
Right. And uh, they want their own brands and they have their own affinities. And so the consumer cyclical companies that are the consumer staple companies, rather, that, that produce these brands, companies like uh, P&G, J&J, um, Kraft Heinz, some of these food companies, the stocks of these things have slipped dramatically. Is that correct? They have, yes. They've all s- slipped quite a bit. Um, you know, a few years ago, um, Kraft Foods merged with uh, Heinz. You know, Warren Buffett was uh, involved, in involved with it, with a Brazilian private equity company. And the rationale behind doing that was you know, that by merging these two companies, they'll be able to cut costs significantly, improve margins, which they did. And, you know, the stock rallied for a while after that happened. And then all of a sudden, it turned out that it wasn't just about the margins or costs. It was about changing tastes. And yeah. since then, the stock has dropped. And even they did not foresee such a big shift in how consumers uh, are going to shift their, change their consumption patterns. And now, these companies still have resources, and they're, they're, there's a scramble for buying all these small brands, you know. So Unilever bought the Dollar Shave Club, and now they bought Sir Kensington, as this article talks about. But now the risk is that these brands, these uh, companies will overpay for these uh, small brands because now everyone wants them. Yeah. Um, it's similar to craft brewing, though, isn't it? Craft? Similar to craft beer. Oh, craft beer. Yes, yes. Uh, it is, but even even there, the trend is here to stay. Initially, uh, there was a sense that this was just uh, a fad, but the trend is here to stay, yes. So it is similar where the big, if you look at the stocks of the big uh, brewers, they've dropped. They haven't done all that uh, well because, you know, craft beer companies are taking up more and more of uh, the market share of uh, the beer market. How much of the craft brewing companies can the big brewers own? Not Certainly not all of it. No, definitely not all of it. And then a lot of these uh, smaller craft uh, beer companies don't want to be owned by big uh, you know, companies. So a lot of yeah. them are rejecting it because they think it'll hurt their brand. If you found out that your favorite craft beer was owned by Anheuser-Busch, you, know, you may have uh, you know, second thoughts about you know, yeah. d- drinking it. That's right. So the millennial generation is a a force to be reckoned with. They're going to cut their own path. And you could, you know, look at where they're investing their dollars. And, and in the future, that's where you ought to be. Yes. And this is also a generation that, that uh, cares about, uh, you know, uh, different things you know like say the environment or where their money is going uh so they are even more uh demanding of what companies do how they produce the quality of ingredients that they use uh so it's a major shift and all these companies that have been around for such a long time are are going to have to make these changes in in order to keep attracting uh, the millennial uh, consumer Okay, you have another article here that I think is interesting, and and I 
don't really agree with what Diamond and Buffett are doing here, but they're encouraging companies to end earn quarterly earnings forecasts. This is an article on Bloomberg.com. Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon are doubling down on their plea for corporations to stop providing quarterly earnings guidance. Buffett, who runs Berkshire Hathaway and Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase, said in a joint Wall Street Journal article that they are encouraging all public companies to consider moving away from the practice, guaranteeing, arguing that it can stifle long-term investments. Quarterly earnings guidance often leads to an unhealthy focus on short-term profits at the expense of long-term strategy, growth, and sustainability, they said. I sort of think that quarterly earnings is necessary because um, corporations are hard to understand, and, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a trading impetus or you don't have to have fear and worry necessarily about what your returns are going to be, but a quarterly update is helpful. They don't think it's helpful. Well, I, I don't think they're saying that get rid of quarterly updates altogether. They're saying that stop making forecasts every quarter of what the next quarter's results will be and yeah. try to match or beat that forecast. So, you know, still publish your quarterly report, but just don't make a forecast of uh, what will be, you know, three months beforehand, which forces you to make changes to your business just to meet that forecast. Yeah. Well, yeah, so they're talking about the guidance. Right. Uh, which, you know, I mean, it's something to, uh, I, I guess, look into. Uh, I don't know how many companies, uh, you know, make uh, long-term short-term decisions without regard to the long-term impacts. Uh, apparently, according to them, that a lot of companies are doing that. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, ideally you want companies to make long-term decisions and not decisions just that try to please analysts. In the op-ed, uh, Diamond and Buffett said the pressure to meet short-term earnings estimates has contributed to a drop in the number of public companies in the U.S. in the past two decades. Seems like we're starting to get a lot more IPOs here lately of, of new companies. We are, yes, and that's another sign of the market being somewhat, you know, it's moved from pessimism to more optimism. Uh, so, yes, we are uh, seeing that that's partly a function of how well the economy and how well the stock market's doing. Uh, and it's also because, um, you know, I mean, I don't know if th there have been studies that show that because of this, you know, companies are uh, not being not coming out. Or is it just because, you know, certain uh, companies like the tech companies, um, by nature, they they just prefer being private. So I, I don't know. Um, but 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 you are you are right. More and more companies are going public, and that's because the stock market's been doing well. Right. That, that's usually also an indicator of what stage the stock market is in. Towards the end of bull runs, we see more and more companies going public. But it's still not that high. I wouldn't say it's something to be concerned about. It's not like every day we hear about a p company going public. Right. Like we did in the late nineties. 
Well, their Investor's Business Daily shows a list of new companies public, and, and they show quite a few IPOs. Right. Whether these are good companies or not, I, I don't know. It remains to be seen. But I don't think there's any real shortage of public companies. And I get tired of hearing Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon uh, opining on things and telling people how to do things. It seems like Warren Buffett likes to do it quite a bit. And, you know, to me, it's just tiresome. Stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show. News Radio 630 WLAP. Alexa, play News Radio 630 WLAP on iHeartRadio. Here's a station you. What do you think you are doing? Don't you like how I give it to you anymore? Hey, Siri. Uh, I was just, you know, trying to get some news. You're going to get it all right. I'm not sure about that. Get News Radio 630 WLAP wherever you want it. Hi, I'm Tom Dupree, Jr. Our firm, Dupree Financial Group, has been engaged in the management of retirement investment accounts of our clients for nearly 14 years. My personal time in the investment business spans 40 years. We bring experience to the table in managing your retirement dollars. If you would like a seasoned and experienced manager to handle your investment portfolio, then give us a call. To schedule a complimentary review of your retirement investments, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 or send an email to info at dupreefinancial.com. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and DupreeFinancial.com. 630 WLAP. Back on the Tom Dupree Show. So not everybody agrees that the market is going to keep going up. Byron Wien of Blackstone says investors enjoying a recent rally in the stock market shouldn't get too comfortable even if, even if the Wall Street veteran is optimistic about the domestic economy over the next two or three years. My feeling is that there's something lurking out there that's going to upset the market. It's probably a geopolitical event, maybe the upcoming North Korea summit. I don't understand that. Uh, Byron Wien is a is a good. Uh, he's been a good prognosticator for many years, but I think sometimes these older guys sort of lose their touch. And they get too pessimistic. Usually, the older they are, the more pessimistic they are because they've they've seen. Uh, it, it's not always true. There are some older optimists, but uh, you run into these guys that say, "Well, you know, the market's gonna. We're gonna have a recession. We're gonna have a downturn." 
and uh, they are not always correct. Yes, you're right. They they aren't, and even Byron Veen he says that there'll be a correction, but he is still optimistic about the economy, and he doesn't think there'll be a major recession until I think he says twenty twenty one. Right. Yeah. Um, and and that's true. And really, anything can happen. You know, uh, we just saw a ten percent correction. It was pretty scary when it happened. It happened very swiftly, uh, back in February, March, and then the market rallied, but again it dropped and retested that low. So anything can happen, and that's why, like we talked about before, it's always important to have some investments in, you know, whether it be bonds or cash, where you have resources and you're not completely going all in uh, into the market because the market at the end of the day is uh, is, is fickle, you know. It'll, right. It'll uh, be volatile. So no matter what happens, you know, always be prepared and always have a plan. Yeah, that's what we try to do um, at the pre-financial group. We we try to um, plan for possible downturns. We're we're careful. We try to buy things when we think they're cheap. We don't always know that they're cheap, but we try to get a margin of safety. And we look at a you know a couple of things we bought recently. Uh, Ventas and uh, Exxon were both trading well below their 52-week highs. So that's one way to get a margin of safety is to fi find something that's under where it has been. Another thing is um, you want to look at the P.E. ratio and, and, and see if it's and really price to cash flow is even more important than that because you it's all about cash flow um in the if you look at uh investors as a group especially retirement investors what do they need they need cash flow so if we can put their money to work in such a way that will produce cash flow uh for them without it being of extremely high multiple of their investment dollars, then they'll get more money back on what they invest and cash flow in the form of dividends. And in, in the case of bonds of, of interest is what we're looking out for. Right. That's, that's absolutely true. Um, and you know, that there are different ways uh, when it comes to, valuing a company you know there are so many different metrics that you can use sometimes the common metrics can be misleading uh sometimes you know a low valuation is can be a sign of problems in the company um, and that's why you know when we look at a company it's uh, it's pretty thorough we're not just looking at a number or a single metric we are looking at what's happening in the industry. We are looking at what's happened in the past and what could happen in the future. Uh, we talk to the management. We try to get a sense of... Um, uh, the, the business itself. The business itself, yes. Is it a business that produces uh, decent uh, returns for investors? Do they care about the investors? Are they, are they going to try to take care of the investors via uh, dividends or stock buybacks, that, that kind of thing? Right. And, uh, 
Yeah, so, you know, I mean, unlike certain other sciences, investing is, you know, it's a science and it's also an art. You know, there's uh, there's no formula to it. Uh, there's, you know, experience helps from the point of view of, uh, you know, I, I guess experience tempers your optimism and sometimes that can be good with investing where you're always thinking of what could go wrong. Sometimes that can also be bad because if you always think of what could go wrong, then you won't make you any won't, You won't, won't invest in anything. Right. Uh, but uh, things do repeat themselves. Uh, they don't repeat themselves in the same way. But over over time, you know, uh, certain standard common things do happen where, you know, there is optimism and pessimism. You know that when things are too... When people are too optimistic, there's a good chance that, you know, markets are expensive. So there, there are a number of different, both uh, metrics, uh, numbers that give you an idea of what's happening in the business and also just, uh, you know, um, how sentiment is surrounding that business. So uh, it's it's a combination of both an art and a science. Yeah, it is very much so. And we we try to be very cognizant of uh, the fact that you know when we're investing for people, we don't know what all is going to happen. I mean, we we try to take into consideration as many things as possible, but our primary concern is for the investors and for the the clients that they might be able to get a decent return, decent cash on cash return for their money. And uh, that's why we continue to do the kind of research that we do. And uh, you know, Darsh, you're you're the the kind of head of that effort, and uh, have been doing it for some time. And I think you've done a very good job at it. Thank you, thank you, Tom. And uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 something that uh, that well, I personally really enjoy doing. And uh, also uh, have to give credit to, uh, you know, Philip, who has been doing a lot of research. Uh, and, um, you know, we it's something that we've tried to uh, improve on as a firm and, uh, uh, you know, help our clients with. Right. So, you know, if you want to uh, give us a call at some point, 233-0400, that's area code 859, and come in. It's, it's a free... Uh, consultation we can go over your investment uh holdings and perhaps make judgments or uh, make some uh comments for you no obligation that's 859-233-0400 thank you for listening today to the uh tom dupree show have a great weekend you've been listening to the tom dupree show it's news radio 630 WLAP.